Schmidt beer, the brew that grew to be best in the great Northwest. Your finest craft beer, Rocky. Man to man, smoke Roy Tan. Cheers, everyone, and welcome to the Unfiltered Gentlemen. And now, here are Greg, Scott, and Dan coming at you ice cold and unfiltered. Hey, everybody, welcome into the Unfiltered Gentlemen. This is Greg, just me today. I'm on a bit of a field trip. I am in Oxnard, California at the 1901 Speakeasy, 1901speakeasy.com, and 1901speakeasy on social medias. Doing something very different on the show today. This will be our first episode that is completely sans beer. We're talking spirits, we're talking mixology, we're talking cocktails here. I'm being joined by the head uh, mixologist, bartender, booze slinger extraordinaire, Jared Krupp. Jared, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is a, a bit of a trip away from what we're used to. We, we're always talking craft beer and craft beer and craft beer. Listener Jose said we had to check out <laughs> spe- a 1901 Speakeasy, that your drinks are amazing, and that this place is really cool. And so far, this place is super cool. Not really what you'd expect when you'd walk in over here. No. Which is nice. Um, so thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Um, I think we've created a super cool space here in a place that a lot of naysayers said we couldn't. Right. You know, I, I had a friend, a uh, restaurant owner actually, who said you can't put lipstick on a pig. <laughs> And it's Oxnard. And right. I was like, no, I think everybody likes nice places and likes diversity. No matter it, where it is, yeah. No matter where it is. And I thought this was a perfect opportunity. And I really think that Oxnard and places like Oxnard, other places that maybe don't have places like this, could use places like this. Yeah. And the proof's in the pudding. It's it's working. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a nice place. Right. Right. Everyone wants a nice place to go, no matter right. who you are. Right. People like nice places. Before we get a little history on you and like as a bartender and everything. I want a little history on this place because this building itself has been around for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it has. And the reason that we chose the name 1901 is because that's the year that this house was originally built. And it was originally in downtown Oxnard on C Street. Okay. So the original owners, she came from Los Angeles, a woman, and she made a lot of money in the farming business. Unfortunately, the year after she moved up here, her husband passed away. And she was sort of a philanthropist and just a just a really sort of cutting edge woman. And she traveled the world and she ended up selling the house. And the house was then moved in the 60s to over by Victoria and Woolley Street. Okay. So they literally picked it up. They sawed it in half, which wow. I don't know how you saw a house in half, yeah. but, but they sawed it in half. But they did it. They did it. They moved it over to uh, Victoria and Woolley and it was there from the 60s until the 90s. And then in 91, um, the city of Oxnard bought 14 of these homes and moved them to the Heritage Square. Okay. And this house was... Originally, the basement was not here, obviously, when they moved it, but they wanted to keep it, you know, very traditional to the to the original house. So they actually dug a trench and made the basement before they put the house on the property. Okay. So that it would have a basement, which kept in theme to the original house. Right now, there's an Italian restaurant up top. Has it always been that? Has it gone through kind of a... History of things? Uh, yeah, the Michelle Kenny has been in this space for 13 years. Okay. Um, she finally bought the building last year. I, I know it was a restaurant before that. I don't think it was always a restaurant, but she's been here for, gosh, well, now almost almost 15 years. Wow. Yeah. And have you been with uh, 1901 since 
it began? Since the beginning, since conception, basically. I, I just, by chance, happened to be having dinner with my wife and uh, last summer and struck up a conversation with the owner and her husband, and they were very excited because they had just bought the building after years of negotiations with the state of California, and there's some there's some issues with, with the historical, you sure. know, everything. So they were excited, and they were just talking about that they wanted to make some improvements and some renovations. At the time, they were painting the outside of the building. It had just become a little dilapidated, mm-hmm. and they did a beautiful job of restoring the paint on the outside, and then they said, we want to redo the bar downstairs. And I kind of perked up and had quite a bit of experience in the bar business, restaurant business, and I asked them if I could take a look. And I came downstairs, and, you know, it, it was a place that needed some TLC. Yeah. But I saw a diamond in the rough, and I proposed to them. I said, I think if we shut it down and gut it and rebuild it and make it a speakeasy, because we just walked down into the basement. Right. Seems fitting. Seems fitting. Speakeasies are big right now. Um, Prohibition cocktails, all of that stuff is huge. And if you're willing to do it, then I'm on board. And they said yes. So they have a concert series in the summertime here in Heritage Square. So we waited until the last concert was done, and literally that was on Friday, and uh, and we were open Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday we shut the doors, and what started out as a two-week project of let's just kind of remodel a little bit and get it reopened, once we really started getting into it, we just said, you know what, let's just do it right. Yeah. So a two-week project ended up being a little over three months. Okay. <laughs> so we gutted it and yeah. rebuilt it. And opened up in late 2018? Opened up in late 2018. We All did right. a kind of a soft opening in December. Yeah. It was a complete turnaround, a complete change. So it has taken a minute to get the word out and, you know, sort of reestablish ourselves as the new bar and the new concept. Yeah. That kind of thing. And it sounds like it's uh, a totally different clientele that you're kind of reaching from what it used to be. Yes. It used to be more of a dive. It used to be more of a dive bar. Um, it, it appealed to a certain clientele. It was for lack of a better word, kind of a party place on the weekends. Yeah. They were doing DJs and, and that kind of thing. We just decided to go a different direction yeah. and, and try this concept. And like I said, it's it, every day is better than the day before, so it's really working. Perfect. Well, yeah. speaking of uh, Prohibition cocktails, you have in front of us quite the lineup of cocktails. Yes, yes. Where do you think we should start, first of all? Um, I guess we'll just go... Go down the line? Yeah, we'll go down the line okay. right to left. You know, usually we have uh, brewers on here. They describe what you should be tasting and, and experiencing with their beer. Do the same thing and pretend I'm an idiot because I am an idiot. <laughs> and I don't drink very many cocktails. So so yeah. walk me through what I should be experiencing and kind of what's in it and that kind of stuff. Start out with the Sazerac. It's a, it's a very classic cocktail created in New Orleans. It's supposedly New Orleans' first real cocktail. It's got absinthe which is a liqueur that can become very overpowering it's mm-hmm. a very licorice you want to get that in the nose but that's not all you want to taste right. you know so what i do is i just put a little bit in the glass and do a rinse and then i throw it out of the glass so hopefully the essence is still there but not the overpowering flavor of the drink so then we do rye which is a very I mean, that's the way they were made. There, there's actually a Sazerac bar in New Orleans. That's, oh, okay. That supposedly, that, that's where this all started, and pretty much every Sazerac is made with rye. So I'm using the Templeton rye, Pichaud's bitters, and Mr. Pichaud was apparently one of the first gentlemen to introduce this cocktail, so they have a bitters that's okay. named after him. 
and then just a little bit of simple syrup. It's a it's a pretty classic, pretty I don't want to say simple drink, but I mean right. it you know, you want those flavors to shine and with a lot of the prohibition cocktails, they're not a lot of ingredients. They you just want sort of the real clean tastes to come through. Yeah. And you, you kind of use a better uh, spirit for it because you're going to taste the liquor. It's not like yes. a bunch of sugar. Yeah, and- you don't want to disguise it a whole yeah. bunch. For example, when we get to the old-fashioned, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but why it's called the pre-prohibition old-fashioned is because during prohibition, it was very hard to get good liquor. Mm. So the old, old-fashioned, you would muddle an orange, you would muddle a cherry, you would put sugar. You were basically trying to disguise the flavor. Make it drinkable. Make it drinkable of probably a less than quality product of yeah. whiskey. Nowadays, yeah. you want that to shine through, so we just make it a little bit differently. We try to keep it really nice and clean and simple. Those are the only kind of cocktails I like. I hate the super sugary uh, you know, daiquiris and margaritas yeah, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. This is this is my jam. This is really good. You get that uh, black licorice up front, yeah, and then it finishes with that really nice rye, and having the uh, the orange peel in there kind of freshens things up yeah. a little bit. Yeah, you definitely want that. You know, citrus is a big part of a lot of these drinks. You want to get the essence of the citrus because you know we use all fresh citrus. We get all local lemons, limes, oranges. We make our own lemon juice, our own lime juice, our uh, our own juices, our own simple syrup, and that makes a lot of difference. Yeah, too. that is one nice thing about this area. If you're not from around here. Whatever fruit you want, we grow it. Oh, yeah. Strawberries, citrus. We got all the good stuff. I cannot buy a lemon from the store when every house in this area has a lemon tree in their backyard. Well, I can't buy strawberries from the store because it says it's shipped from wherever. It's like, why the hell would I do that when I could just go down the street to the stand and get strawberries? Right. And that's exactly what we do. Yeah. That's what I do. I I reach out on my next door neighbor app and I just say, hey, guys. (laughs) Who's got lemons? Who's got lemons? Who's got limes? I've had grapefruits. I, I I get everything from nice neighbors. Yeah. Do you ever <laughs> um, design any cocktails based on what fruit you find? Or yeah, I, we are, we're actually doing a whole program with infused cocktails. So, for example, basically, I take things that I think go well together. For example, somebody gave me a bunch of grapefruits, so I got some habaneros and I got some tequila, and I have the big mason jars, the cur jars, mm-hmm. and I infused some grapefruits and some habaneros. And tequila, and I let it sit in that jar for about a week, and then I strain it, and they make great margaritas. Yeah. And same thing, like you say, local strawberries. I got strawberries, and then I said, oh, what goes well with strawberries? Basil. So I got some fresh basil from my garden. Nice. Brought it in, threw some strawberries, some basil, same thing, some vodka, let it sit for a week. And so I have a whole sort of infused, you know, rosemary. Obviously, rosemary grows like weeds. Right. So rosemary from my garden as well. The mint is from my garden as well. So nice. a lot of it comes from my house. And then, like I said, from the kind people that donate. Right. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Um, what's your history as a, as a bartender? Would you call yourself a bartender or a mixologist? Um, what do you like? Yeah, that's, that's tough. I mean, I would really call myself as maybe a reluctant restaurateur because <laughs> <laughs> I sort of fell into it. You know, my brother is a chef in college. I, needed a job and he gave me a job in the kitchen of the restaurant that he was the head chef at. And it just sort of went from there. You know, as I, as I went off to college, I figured out that bartending was much more lucrative than working in the kitchen. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I switched sides and I literally put myself through college. Now, granted, this was a long time ago when college was a lot more affordable. <laughs> not a hundred thousand um, a year, not a hundred thousand a year, but I was able to put myself through school. 
bartending yeah. on, on the evenings. And so I've gone in and out of it. I was a junior high, high school teacher for 20 years, but I almost always had a second job because especially starting out as a teacher, we're not making a lot of money. Right. So I had a second job on the weekends, in summer times, and things like that. You know, I think there's two kinds of people. There's restaurant people and not restaurant people. Sure. And it kind of gets into your blood. And you enjoy that rush and you enjoy working with people and service and all of that stuff. So I've been in and out. Most recently, our the school that I was working at that we actually opened, a charter school, mm-hmm. um, closed down, unfortunately, for yeah. financial reasons. So I found myself sort of in need of a job. Yeah. So it's nice to have that sort of backup all the time. Yeah, I would call myself uh, a restaurateur who now, since I've really gotten into the whole prohibition era, I'd like to think I'm a mixologist. I've just been doing a lot of research and watching every documentary I can. And thank God for YouTube, watching, <laughs> right. watching YouTube videos of some of the great bartenders and trying to keep it real simple and classic and just all, the drinks that I'm making are not revolutionary. Right. I mean, they're all drinks that you could look up online and find the ingredients and, and find the drink, but I'm very particular about making sure I'm making it the right way. Yeah, it's about the process and about what you're putting in it. Yeah, yeah, and and about the proportions and everything else. I mean, everything's got to be just right because the people that drink these drinks are a very discerning crowd. Yeah. They're going to let you know if it's not the right combination. Well, especially with this sort of atmosphere, I think it gives a certain level of expectation of what you're going to get. Like when you walk into a speakeasy, it looks like this. You know you're going to get some, or you think you're going to get some really good Prohibition era cocktails. Right. Because if the decor is this good, then the drinks better back it up. Exactly. And I, and I, I won't lie. I mean, I've learned a lot along the way and I've stumbled a little bit and I had to go back and sort of really make sure that I was making the best product and really paying attention to sort of making sure that it's exactly the way it should be. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, do you have any formal training as a bartender or? On the job. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I've, I've worked at quite a few bars throughout the years. Um, never went to bartending school or anything like that. Just sort of thrown in the fire and worked at some busy places. Just really learned on the job. But I have worked at everything from high end Italian restaurants to neighborhood dive bars. Yeah. I did do a one day bartending school thing. <laughs> and I can tell you, all they really teach you how to do is to pour two bottles at once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very little bit about recipes, very little bit about the drinks. It's more like, can you multitask? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it's really about connecting with the client. Yeah. Um, obviously knowing what you're doing, but after years of doing it, I think that comes with the territory. Is really, and especially here, it's all about the customer service. Yeah. And since we're starting out and since this is kind of my baby, I, I just want to make sure that everyone has the best experience possible. And so that's really what I'm about, is is making people feel comfortable, making it like a, as the sign shows above the bar, and kind of a cheers bar, yeah. where what I'm looking for is regulars, people yeah. that come back time and time again and really enjoy the atmosphere and the cocktails. Right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first job in alcohol? Well, I started bar ba- at the restaurant that that I, like I mentioned, that I worked at with my brother, which was a very nice Italian restaurant in okay. Studio City. And I was working in the kitchen and we were slaving away for minimum wage, really, which right. was, I think at the time, about $7 an hour. And I would see the servers and especially the bartenders because there was this big, beautiful bar and I, and they would be walking away with like all this money. <laughs> so I started bar backing, yeah. you know, and I would just kind of say, what's that? What's that? What's that? What are you doing? What are you doing? And from there... 
I, I went off to college and same thing. I started working at a restaurant bar mm-hmm. and the bartender was nice enough that I would say, hey, do you mind on my days off if I just come in and sort of shadow you? And, and I said that. I said, what's that? What's that? What's that? And then eventually he decided, well, I can make the same amount of money by just letting Jared bartend and make <laughs> the drinks and serve the people and I'll just collect the money. So and this was back in the day when you could still smoke in the bar. So he'd sit right. he'd sit at the bar and smoke cigarettes and hang out. <laughs> I loved it. I enjoyed it. I was all of twenty one years old and yeah. making drinks and schmoozing and uh, and so that's really how I learned. How involved with the recipe creation are you here? Is it all you or it's all me? I mean, yeah. As we're getting busier, I'm I'm having to bring on more people. But mm. um, you know, in order to make this work, not only financially but just for my reputation and for everything, it's pretty much. And I don't want to sound narcissistic, but it's pretty much all me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I created the cocktail list. I didn't create the cocktails, but I just tried to take about 10 of the most popular Prohibition cocktails, Right. created that, created a new wine list, brought in all local craft beers, bottled beers, pretty much changed everything. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I'm involved from the ground up, basically. Will you make off-the-menu cocktails for people? Absolutely. Someone came in last night and they said, you know, I'm looking at all these specialty cocktails. Do you make margaritas? <laughs> I said, absolutely. I sure. can make anything you want. These are just suggestions. Yeah. But we have a full bar and... We got juice. We got tequila. We'll we got, make it happen. We got, we got anything you want. Yeah. We got anything you want. Very good. Well, speaking of ingredients, what is next in our lineup here? So that's the South Side. Okay. Uh, named after the infamous South Side of Chicago and Al Capone and the gangsters of that time who pretty much ran the city. Like I said, simple, classic, fresh mint from my garden, tear it up, put it in the shaker, a little bit of lime juice, muddle it, a little bit of simple syrup, a little bit of gin, Mm. shake it, serve it up, express the mint by slapping a piece of fresh mint and garnish with the lime wheel. That is really fresh. Yeah. This is definitely like a hot day drink. Yeah, absolutely. And they are kind of dangerous because they're so good and so refreshing and it's maybe a little deceiving in the little coupe glass, right. but I mean, that's a full cocktail. It's a five ounce coupe glass. So people kind of power them back and all of a sudden it can catch up to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That citrus and the mint really work well together to, to freshen it up and, and make it more dangerous because yeah. it balances it out a little bit. And you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. This isn't right. strong. Right. Little do you know. Little do you know. That yeah. It's mostly alcohol. <laughs> and you said gin in there, right? Gin. Gin. Yeah. Okay. Gin and. Gin and whiskey were really the predominant liquors during Prohibition. Right. I mean, there is a little bit of vodka, but, you know, rumor has it that a lot of the vodka, the grain that makes a lot of the vodkas, they wanted to save for bread and for things like that for the war effort. Oh, okay. So there was a, there was a big push to save the grain and not make alcohol from it. Okay. And whiskey's a little easier to make, right? Yeah, yeah. I like mean, in your backyard kind of thing. You got a distiller, and you got corn, and you got mash, or stuff like that. I think it's a little... Uh, yeah, it just seemed to be predominantly whiskey and gin Yeah, during the Prohibition. Yeah, a little easier to come by. And yeah. You mentioned that you have a, a pretty good bar list on tap. What do you think about the new trend of craft beer trying to mimic cocktails? Uh, you know, I mean, craft beers in general, from the time I grew up when, you know, maybe Blue Moon was a, uh, right. you know, <laughs> was fancy. Uh, yeah, a fancy one or, or a Heineken or something like that. I mean, obviously, in this day and age, it's all about the craft beers. Um, as far as like 
doing beers in maybe aged barrels and things like that. I mean, I just think the more creative, the better it is for the palate, for anyone involved. You know, I mean, it's just we're taking cocktails, we're taking beers, we're taking everything to the next level. Yeah. Do you have any cocktails with beer in them? I don't. Oh. But it's a thought. Something to work on. It's something something to, work to work on. on. We do have our new peanut butter whiskey. Oh. When my rep came in and sold, tried to sell me peanut butter whiskey, I basically said, that sounds like something that you need to sell, and I'm not really interested. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of said to me, I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave you a bottle, and if it doesn't sell, then I will buy it back. Fair. I sold that bottle in about three days. Okay. And I said, give me a six-pack. And he said, well, we're back-ordered right now. Because wow. it's so popular. And I said, well, when it's... When it's back, give me a six-pack, and that was about a month ago, and I'm on my fourth bottle already. That's pretty good. You know, and he kind of summed it up that, you know, people are not drinking the shots of Fireball and Oof. Jaeger and, and Goldschlager and Rumple Mints anymore. Yeah, which to Oof. me is like, thank God. Yeah. You know, my college days are over. Right. But, you know, they are kind of going for the more craft, even cocktails. Mm -hmm. so we just experimented a little, and we came up with... I mean, it just tastes like a peanut butter oatmeal cookie with Ooh. peanut butter, a little bit of uh, cream, half and half, and cinnamon. And we just make a cocktail, and it's like, oh, my gosh. That sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Pour it over a brownie with some vanilla ice cream. Oh. Forget it. <laughs> Got to go, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Interview over. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, I think a lot of the companies are going in that direction. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I would be totally open to trying to make a cocktail with the with the beer as well yeah well and back to the, the the sweet booze you know for so long it was like cupcake vodka right and birthday cake whatever yeah so when you hear peanut butter whiskey it's not surprising that you get a little turned off because right. for so long it was just like how much sugar can we pack into this disgusting alcohol to yeah. cover up the taste of cheap alcohol right i mean it's a very good product and i mean don't get me wrong it's still sweet i mean right. i wouldn't drink 10 of them but I mean, for an after dinner drinks, I mean, it, it's, it's flying off the shelves. Yeah. And people are absolutely loving it. Back to cocktail creation, you know, in beer, we hear a lot about how like hops and malts kind of work together to balance out the flavor. Uh, what are some of the elements that you're using when you're making cocktails to balance out flavors? You know, we might balance a sweet with a sour. You know, for some people, whiskey is whiskey. I mean, it's, right. it's very harsh. So like the old fashioned, just by, adding a little bit of bitters and a little bit of sugar. We're just trying to balance things. I mean, obviously, again, like I said, I'm, I haven't created these drinks, but, you know, through the years, they've figured out that, well, the sweet and the sour or the, you know, the little bit of sweet with the whiskey and those kind of things work. Right. So I'm just kind of taking advantage of what my forefathers have <laughs> exactly. created. Well, speaking of the old-fashioned, let's talk about it. Yeah. So very classic we call it the pre-prohibition old-fashioned. As I was talking earlier, you know, during prohibition, the whiskey may have been of maybe shady origins. Sure. Maybe made in somebody's swimming pool or in their bathtub. Swimming pool? That'd be a lot of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. I actually have a photo of a huge swimming pool wow. full of during prohibition. So, you know, the whiskey maybe was not of the greatest quality. And there's actually stories about People mixing turpentine and rubbing alcohol Ooh. and other horrible things. So people were going blind and yeah. people were actually dying and things like that. So maybe in order to sort of mask that, they would muddle cherries and put a bunch of sugar and muddle oranges and, and just make this cocktail that I think 
would actually just mask the flavor so you could make it at least palatable. Yeah. Well, in this day and age, we have nice whiskeys, nice rye, so we don't want to mask the flavor too much. We want to enhance it. Right. So classic sugar cube soaked in bitters, muddled, no soda water like they used to add, um, just rye, always a big cube of ice. Mm-hmm. It's not going to dilute the drink as much. And then I will just do a lemon peel, which I'll sort of um, lace around the rim. So the idea is that when you have these citruses and things, you want to get the essence when you put the drink up to your mouth. Mm-hmm. So by by rubbing that lemon around the edge of the drink, you're going to get that. And then oranges have a lot of oils in them. So what we do is we extract that by using a sulfur match and putting it up to the skin of the orange and then squeezing the orange. And you can actually see a little flame Mm -hmm. and that sort of gives that orange essence in the drink. But again, we don't want to overdo it. I don't want to add a huge orange. Right. I don't want to muddle an orange in there. I want to have the essence of It's not a mimosa. It's not a mimosa. It's not... You're just supposed to have a hint. Yeah. And what kind of uh, whiskey did you put in there? That's Templeton Rye. Okay. Yeah. That, was, that was really good. Yeah. One thing you did that was a little bit different than some people is you um, muddled the sugar cube in the glass. In the glass. That the drink went into. Yeah. I build it in the glass. I don't know if that's um, a preference thing. Most people build it in the shaker or like a pint glass and then transfer it. And maybe I'm odd in the sense that I feel like <laughs> Some of that flavor that's in the glass is going to stay in the shaker or in the pint and not be in the glass. Right. So I would just rather build it in that. Also, I I do put the giant rock in the drink and sort of swirl it, but I don't like the idea of the whiskey starting off very cold. Okay. I like the idea that as you drink the whiskey, it sort of takes on a different flavor because it's getting different temperature as you're drinking it, mm-hmm. you know? So it might start off as one thing. Ice sort of melts a little bit. Maybe it's got a little different flavor. So so you experience different things throughout the same drink. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I don't like to chill the whiskey beforehand. And even as the uh, the cube kind of breaks down a little bit, you get a little more of that different flavors from the whiskey as more waters introduced. I, I and, think so. And yeah. one thing I really like is I was afraid because you were doing the sugar in the glass that maybe it would be a little sweeter. And it's not. It's not at all. No, it's not. You know, the bitters helps. I don't add water, but before I muddle, I just dip my muddler in the water. So it gets mm-hmm. a little bit of water. So it makes a little bit more of a slurry. Yeah. And I just find that that works the best. The sugar cube is pretty small. So we're not using a ton of sugar. Yeah. How do you go about picking out which spirits you're going to use. What I try to do here, and I know I have to have your Jack Daniels and I have to have your your standard drinks, but... Stuff people have heard of. Stuff people have heard of. But we have Channel Islands Distillery. We have Ventura Spirits. There's um, Cutler Distillery in Santa Barbara. I'm trying to go with some of the smaller names that maybe if you walk into a bar, you haven't seen in every bar. Yeah. And it's up to me to then say, oh, this is a small batch bourbon made locally or 
For example, I have a line that it's a Kentucky bourbon whiskey and rye, but then they send it up to Napa Valley and it spends two years in Pinot Noir barrels. No. So just a little bit different, maybe, you know, not that there's anything wrong with Cuddy Sark or Canadian Club, but, you know, you have to have the standards, but I'm trying to elevate it up. And it's up to me if someone says, oh, what is that, that I can actually kind of sell them on the fact that, well, let's try this. It's different. Yeah. And I guess something, at least I don't know, but I would assume most non-bar people would know or wouldn't know is... How do you pick it out? Like you, you talking about your bar rep coming in and selling you the peanut butter whiskey? Yeah. Do they just come in with a with a line of stuff and say, "Here you go, try it and pick out what you like"? Or yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, or else I'll come to them and I'll say, "Hey, I want to pump up my gin selection." Sure. So what do you have for me in gins? Okay. And then they'll come in and I said, you know, give me something different. Don't give me Tanqueray. Right. You know, I mean, again, I've got Tanqueray, but I wanted... Give me something unique. Give me something unique. And there are so many, just like in beers, just... I mean, there are so many new liquor choices as well Mm -hmm. that uh, give me something different. It's up to me to sell that. But I honestly think that in this day and age, people are willing to experiment people are willing to try new things especially if they haven't seen it before yeah and i would imagine that it's probably easier for you to sell something that you really enjoy yeah absolutely because it's not like oh yeah have this jack daniels it's yeah. great you know it's like yeah for example i had a i had a lady last night and she came in and she said gosh this french 75 cocktail which is a gin and lemon juice and simple syrup and then topped off with champagne okay she said that sounds really good but you know i really also like a bombay sapphire martini and I said, well, you can go anywhere and get a Bombay Sapphire Martini. That's true. You can't go anywhere and get a French 75, so why don't you have a French 75? And she did, and she loved it. She was like, Perfect. oh, my gosh. You know, it's also getting people out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And, hey, if they don't like the cocktail, I won't make them pay for it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll make them a Bombay Sapphire Martini. Right, yeah, but you don't like this. Then- yeah, if you don't like it, fine, but I have rarely had that yeah it's nice having that insurance policy like right look try if you don't like it i'll make you something you don't like it i'll make you something else but like i said that has been very few and far between what are some of the weirdest ingredients that you put in a drink well the drinks that i don't make anymore (laughs) (laughs) like the alizés and the um all of those things i try not to uh the cocktails i don't know weird you know absinthe is interesting yeah you know it's got an interesting history and it was they say that's why Van Gogh cut his ear off on a on a binge, and it it used to have different ingredients. It had THC in it, you know, which doesn't have any more. But they have gone back. But probably to will soon. It. Probably will soon, <laughs> at least out here. But they've gone back to making it with the wormwood and and the other ingredients. So you know, nothing too crazy. Okay. But I would say like the absinthe and and some of the more interesting, you know, the maraschino liqueur, which a lot of people maybe have or have not heard of goes in the Hemingway daiquiri mm-hmm. which we'll probably talk about in a moment but I don't know if this is common knowledge to, to people outside the industry but like egg whites are a fairly common ingredient but when you think about it that's kind of weird it, yeah that's a little weird you know a classic whiskey sour should be made with egg whites it mm-hmm. should be shaken dry so you get that real frothy foam yeah. probably the most classic cocktail is the Ramus Fizz which is tricky I mean it's <laughs> That one has a few more ingredients, and, you know, the rumor was that you shake it for four minutes. Oh, jeez. I mean, who's got that time? Yeah, get you know, a workout. And if you don't do it right, and if it doesn't foam up right, the foam is supposed to, like, rise up above the glass and orange flower water. That would be one of those drinks that maybe has ingredients that aren't in any other cocktail yeah but yes we do classic whiskey sours with eggs 
I have four chickens. Oh, nice. The organic eggs work the best. Okay. It seems that the egg whites, for whatever reason, just froth up and foam better. They're, you know, it's weird not to get all like hipstery, but like organic eggs are different. And I don't yeah. say that about just about anything else that's organic. No, or, they're totally different. Yeah, my, my buddy has chickens. And when you have hard-boiled organic eggs, like it tastes different. Yeah. The, the yolk is brighter. Yeah. I mean, you can even see the difference. It's really yeah. weird. I, my yolks are like bright orange. Yeah. And maybe you just realize that after buying eggs from the store for years, you think that they're just something. And then when you get, and they actually have flavor, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, wow, this egg tastes like an egg. That's what we do. I have more eggs than I know what to do with. If you want any, I'll sign me up. <laughs> we, we eat tons of eggs. Yeah. Um, what's, what's the it drink right now? I would say the old fashioned. I probably sell that five to one over all the other cocktails. And it's funny because it's a younger crowd that's drinking them. Yeah. You know, and I just think when I was 23 or 24, like whiskey to me was. Ugh was this horrible brown stuff that maybe my dad drank right. and I just didn't want anything to do with it. When it kind of had a reputation for, you know, is what the alcoholics drink. Yeah. You, know, you just drank it to get hammered kind of right. thing. Right. And maybe again, maybe back 30 something years ago, it wasn't the quality that it is now. Sure. Or maybe we were, you know, I was just drinking poor quality Could you be, know, yeah. whiskey. Even now, since I've been doing this, I'll have an old-fashioned and I'll really enjoy it where I right. never, ever, ever up until probably a year ago even drank whiskey at all. Yeah. And now I get the nuances and now I know the difference between a rye versus a whiskey versus a bourbon. They definitely have different flavors and different tastes, you know, very same to the evolution of beer, the right. evolution of wine, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, back in the day, it's like Sutter Home White Zinfandel. I was fancy, <laughs> you know. So, Check but, out my box. But I would say across the board, old fashions are the drink of choice. Yeah. All right. What's our final cocktail? Okay. Here? So right here we have the Hemingway daiquiri. As we all know, Hemingway liked to imbibe once in a while. Yes. <laughs> I think he was the original hipster. Right. Um, and so it's a, it's it's rum. You know, he spent a lot of time down in Florida and the Keys and Cuba. Rumor has it he was diabetic. So as much as he liked his kind of daiquiris, he couldn't really do a lot of the sugar. So he did it with grapefruit juice and maraschino liqueur. It does have a little simple syrup, you know, and it does have some lime juice. But the simple syrup that I make is a one-to-one -one ratio, pretty classic, of sugar and water. Yeah. So it's not super, super sugary. Garnished with a Bing cherry. The dark cherries are really what you should be using. The maraschino cherries are fine for Shirley Temples. Sure. <laughs> but not really for nice cocktails. Right. And a lime wedge. And again, a, a pretty classic cocktail. But we wanted to pay homage to one of the greats. Yeah. And what type of rum is in here? Uh, that is the Kraken rum. Kraken rum. Okay. Yeah. You get a little bit of that lime, but it's not in your face lime. It, yeah. It's low lime it's, flavor. You know, I think when people think of daiquiri, you know, you think of sitting out and Jimmy Buffett. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some people, when you bring out the daiquiri, they kind of say, oh, I thought that was going to be like a daiquiri. Right. A daiquiri yeah. glass. You <laughs> frozen. Know, frozen. Yeah. No, that's not the way they drank cocktails. Basically an adult slushy. Yeah, yeah, that's not that's not the way they did it. That's right. not the way we do it. I mean, a cocktail was a cocktail. Again, we're trying to keep it classic. What's something that people are often surprised by when they get a drink? I think it's that a lot of people, including myself, are not familiar with a lot of these drinks. So when you get a sidecar that's cognac and Cointreau and lime juice that just sounds like, oh my, I would never think <laughs> of those kind of 
things, but obviously these drinks have been perfected over the years. So I think they're probably surprised at how good they taste. Right. Considering they've never had anything like that before. Yeah. When people go to a bar, and this often happens at lesser bars, but you go to a bar and they say like, what do you want? Do you want well spirit or do you want like a special brand? Yeah. Do you think that there's any advantage to ordering a certain brand over saying well? Like should people not be ordering well? Because I think the fear is, this is just a general bartender question. I think the fear is like, oh, if I don't order well, it's going to be crazy expensive. Yeah. When in the reality, I mean, usually a higher end drink, um, liquor is really only 50 cents or a dollar more than okay. well. Now, if you're making a rum and coke, does it really matter? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. If you're drinking a straight up martini, does it matter? Yes. Yeah. Even the vodkas, you know, everyone says, oh, vodka is a, is a flat, it's, you know, it has no flavor, it's just whatever. No. Every vodka has a little different, distinct flavor. Every gin has a distinct, you know, London Drive or, you know, there's just sure. all kinds of different gins. Come to the point where you know what you like. Is it more juniper? Is it more whatever the case may be? Right. Do you like what whiskey? Do you like a little softer whiskey? Do you like a in-your-face bourbon? Do you like a rye? Do you like a scotch whiskey that's a little more smoky? Mm -hmm. I think the bottom line is you have to try enough yeah. to know what you like without being an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm willing to put in that research. <laughs> yeah. But it does. It absolutely makes a difference. It depends on the cocktail. Yeah. But in all of our signature cocktails, we're using a good product. Right, right. You know. How do you go about choosing what beers you have on tap? You have a pretty good tap list. Yeah. So how do you how do you make those choices? Um, local, local, local. Yeah. Obviously, trying to do IPA is and has been for the last ten years the magic word. Right. You know. So obviously, I have to have an IPA. Topa Topa to me is a signature. They make a great product. They're Cheap Peak IPA. So drinkable. It's so drinkable, and it's not to me. I'm not a super super hoppy guy. So I, to me, it's not over hopped. So I try to have a light. So right now I got the Poseidon Pale Ale moving mm -hmm. into the Poseidon Battleship Blonde because they're very seasonal brewer. You right. know, they don't make the same thing all year round. But I said, okay, I want to have a light. I want to have a flavor. I got the Telegraph Blood Orange White Ale. The Stella, I have to have one that maybe, you know, someone walks in that's not as discerning. Sure. Then I wanted to balance out. Um, with a little bit darker, so I got the Institution Restraint, which is their brown ale. It's yeah. delicious institution. My favorite institution beer. Oh, it's, dude, it's so it's, good. It's great. They're doing a great job. And then, you know, the Hazies are super popular these days. Right. So I um, was up at the new Made West tasting room and had a Hazy, and I said, I got to have that. <laughs> yeah, Made West does it right. Made West does it right, so I put their Hazy IPA on. I'd love to have a stout, but it's stout's a tricky market. I'd love to have a sour. Sure. Unfortunately, I've only got six tap handles, so I have to be selective. I've got a lot of local breweries that I'd love to. I'd lo I want to support all the locals, right? But I've only got six taps. Yeah, that, that must be hard. Yeah. What are some of the annoying? And this is a question for a bartender. What are some of the annoying things that you get from customers? In general, well, everyone wants more for less. Sure. So sometimes when we bring out a, a five-ounce coupe glass, they say, oh, that's so cute and dainty, but, you know, it's so small. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, it's about the proportions. 
If I make you a bigger drink, it doesn't mean it's going to have more alcohol. Right. It means it's going to have more stuff, and that's going to throw off the flavor that was intended to be. We've actually had to go down to smaller martini glasses because a martini is just straight alcohol. Right. There's nothing else in a <laughs> martini. So if we brought out a half-full, eight-ounce martini glass, people would complain that right. it's half-full. And I would say, well, that's an eight-ounce glass. If right. I served you eight ounces of alcohol, I would have to charge you for three. No one's going to pay 30 to $40 for a martini. Yeah, and I may lose my license, too. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I would say, you know, that's it. People want something for nothing. You know, make the yeah. margarita, make it strong. And usually my comeback is, do you want to make it a double? And the answer is always no. <laughs> you know? All right, then I'll make it how it's supposed to be made. <laughs> yeah, and I'll make it and, and trust the bartender. Mm -hmm. Just like when you're in a restaurant, if you order a dish, trust that the chef knows what they're doing and they right. put together, you know, and that's one thing that gets me too. you know, oh, can you take out this and can you add this and can you do this? It's like, well, that's not what the dish was meant to be. You're not at Denny's. You're not at Denny's. And same thing, I had someone, oh, can you make, make an old-fashioned, but you can, can you do this? Can you add this? Can you take out this? I said, well, then it's not my old-fashioned. Right. You know, just tell me that, that you want a different drink. <laughs> but I would say trust the bartender, trust the cocktails, trust they know what they're doing, mm -hmm. and trust that they're giving you what they're supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Trust the bartender might be the answer to the next question I was going to ask you. I, my goal is to always be not the annoying person at a yeah. bar. And I was going to say, like, how can we be better customers at a bar? But that might be it. I think that's it. Yeah. Most bartenders are at least knowledgeable enough to know that they are making the product, making the drink the way it's supposed to be made. Mm -hmm. Trust that they know what they're doing and just enjoy your experience as a customer. Right. You know. And I've had a bartender tell me, I don't know how to make that drink. And I appreciate that. I'm not afraid to do that. Yeah. I'd like to think there's not many that I don't know how to make. But if you were at TGI Fridays and you right. had a special <laughs> cocktail list and they had a flaming monkey butt, whatever. My favorite. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I would have to say that I know most drinks. Mm -hmm. And if there's not, we have these magical devices that almost everyone has in their pocket. Right. And I can just Google a drink and I can find out what's in it. But like I said, there's very few drinks that I wouldn't at least have heard of. Or it might have been a while. Right. And I might have to refresh my memory. <laughs> and there are some new ones that have come out, maybe variations on Negronis. You know, there's a new one that instead of gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth, which is a classic Negroni, very Italian drink, mm -hmm. they're doing with bourbon. Okay. Okay, great. Then um, somebody ordered that, and I wasn't sure, and they told me that, and fantastic. Now I know. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, I'm not afraid to... Admit that I don't know everything. What's the weirdest request you've ever received behind the bar? Oh, gosh. I actually had Mini-Me. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Vern Troyer. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I knew that off the top of my head. <laughs> so I worked at a bar in Studio City, California, which is, you know, right by the studios. Right. Hence and he the name. came in one night and we had, a, we had a shelf where we kept the cocktails right around the holidays. So we had a little dancing Santa up on the shelf. And he asked me if I would take him and put him up on the shelf so he could dance with Santa, <laughs> which I did. Oh, of course. <laughs> How do you say no? Yeah. How do you say no? That was that was pretty strange. That's hilarious. Yeah. What's the secret to being a good bartender? I would just say 75% of 
bartending and service in general is being personable and making somebody feel comfortable. Because let's face it, there's plenty of places to go spend your money. Sure. Where do you go spend your money? You go to a place, you know, hey, Jim works there on Tuesday. We're going there because Jim knows my name and it's cheers and that kind of thing. So I would say, obviously, you have to know your cocktails mm-hmm. and you can't fake it. Right. But more than anything else, you just have to make people feel comfortable. And yeah. let's face it, we all work hard for our money. And we want to feel appreciated when we're spending money. And when you go out drinking, it ain't cheap. No. You know, and if you buy a round of drinks, it ain't cheap. So at least you want to feel like that person or that establishment appreciates your patronage. Yeah. One thing I like to do with all the brewers that we have on the show is ask them a set of rapid fire questions. So I've altered these to be... uh Alcohol related, not beer specific. Okay. I hope I'm a little nervous. <laughs> so the, just the <laughs> first thing that comes to your mind, don't think about it too long. What's the first alcoholic drink you ever had? Beer. Coors. When I was six. <laughs> <laughs> Starting like, late. My, my cousin wasn't a very good influence. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Bad taste in beer. <laughs> yeah. What's the first drink you ever made? Probably a standard. I mean, vodka cranberry, I mm. think, was probably pretty standard. I, yeah. I think as I started out, that was about the only thing they would let me make right. as a very standard cocktail. Either that or a, a screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah. I think that actually, I take that back. It might have been a screwdriver. <laughs> What's the first drink that you ever created? Created? I mean, I, I would say maybe just tweaked. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, right now we have the soon-to-be world-famous Mule Old Fashioned, which is just to take a kind of a combination of a mule which is bourbon, lime, simple syrup, ginger beer, and bitter. So it's kind of took the two drinks yeah. and put them together and made a cocktail. That's about it. I mean, I don't think you would call tricking your friends into, you know, opening up a Corona. And if you ever opened up a Corona, there's a space on the top of it. Right. So to my unknowing friends, I would fill that with a shot of tequila. So the, you know, first thing they tasted was this big, horrible shot of tequila. <laughs> or if someone, an annoying customer to me would say, make my drink strong, I would... Fill the straw with 151. Yeah. So the first drink they get is just pure 151. Very strong. Very strong. So I don't know if that's creating. No, but I enjoy it. But yeah. That's a great story. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to beer, you a fan of cans or bottles? Bottles. Uh, Tap, then bottles, then cans. Tap, then bottles. (laughs) Bottles and cans. What is your favorite drink and food pairing? You know, to be honest with you, I'm a a wine guy for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I mean, give me a nice chardonnay and a nice piece of ahi tuna and i'm a happy happy camper or give me a nice meaty chewy cabernet and a nice filet yeah and i'm just as happy (laughs) nice that sounds delicious it's tuesday night what are you drinking hopefully not a lot (laughs) (laughs) because i'm working (laughs) um but i have to say just about every night when i go home um because now that i'm working more evenings than any other time I usually come home, my wife and I go outside on our patio, we have wine, and we talk about the day. So it's wine almost every day. It's good for your heart. Yes. Yes. Uh, usually I ask, what is your beercation destination, but what is your spirits or liquor vacation destination? Any vacation is a vacation destination. We have become cruise people. Okay. So it's been, let's see, we honeymooned, we did a wonderful cruise through the Greek islands and and then and then we spent a week in Italy on the Cinque Terre. The wine you buy in the jug at the store is as good as any wine that we make here. It's just a oh, yeah. wonderful experience. 
recently, two summers ago, we went to Thailand. Mm. Thai beer is delicious. Tsingtao. And the Singha mm-hmm. and Chang are their two big ones. Okay. The vacation takes over the alcohol, and then the alcohol is just <laughs> there with the vacation. Right. Natted bonus. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite bar besides your own? Well, okay, let's just say we just went to the new space Made West has up above Eric Erickson's Pier, which is like, why wouldn't you go and have a beer and overlook the ocean? Yeah. And so, okay, right now, that's my favorite okay. spot. <laughs> I like it. The brand new Made West. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite non-alcohol related hobby? Well, I've always been a surfer. I've been um, paddle boarding now. Is, uh, I would say paddle boarding is my thing. And finally, what is your favorite word or slang for being drunk? Well, I make fun of the kids. And, you know, kids, when I right. say kids, I'm talking about the 20-something. I would say saying I'm lit. It always gets a chuckle from my nine-year-old daughter. Right. <laughs> <You know. laughs> dad, don't say that. Yeah, yeah. You're not cool, Dad. <laughs> I know that. That's why I'm saying it. Right. Yeah. I did use the word crunk the other day. Oh, nice. Yeah. A few years late, but... A few years late. That makes it all the better. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't claim to be hip. I don't claim (laughs) to be current. Right. (laughs) Uh, Jared, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for these phenomenal drinks. If you guys are in the Ventura County area, come on out. It's Oxnard. It's 1901 Speakeasy, 1901speakeasy.com, and 1901speakeasy on social media. You can find them at 740 South B Street in Oxnard. Uh, come on out, enjoy some some great cocktails, and say hi to Jared and tell him you, you heard him here and, and all that good stuff. So thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. All right, cheers. Thanks one last time to Jared for spending some time with us and making us some really good cocktails. I have to admit, I'm not a huge cocktail person, but I really enjoyed what he was making, especially that old-fashioned. If you're in the area, go ahead and check out 1901 Speakeasy at 740 South B Street. Once again, Oxnard, California. Find them on the webs at 1901speakeasy.com or 1901speakeasy on social media. I also got some really cool pictures of Jared while he was making the drinks and a couple of cool videos as well. So check out our social medias for those at The Unfiltered Gentleman or at Unfiltered Gents on Twitter. Find us at TheUnfilteredGentleman.com as well as our phone number 805-538-BEER-2337 if you want to call or leave us a drunk voicemail. In the meantime, I hope everyone is staying well hydrated out there. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night.